0: Today we're going to be in Acts 2, starting with verse 42. The last time we went into detail about Peter's Pentecost speech, today we're going to finish up chapter 2, and we're going to be challenged today. We're going to be challenged to see what is the church. According to God's Word, what did the church look like? And what are some things that may be absent from the church? Also, we're going to go into chapter 3 if we have time, And we're going to go into the miracle of the healing of the lame man. Acts 2, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These are the practices of the early church. Verse 42 really packs a punch here. This is the, re- the recipe for a successful church in God's eyes. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of secular programs out there that uh, pastors will get involved with or they'll have consultants come out and they'll tell these pastors how to get their church to grow. You know, these are the things that you could do. Honestly, that's never going to be me. I really don't care what man thinks. What I care is what the model is in the scripture. The first thing is the Apostles' doctrine, or the teaching of the Word of God. The Apostles disseminated the teachings of Christ. Well, they traveled with Him. It was ingrained, the teachings, over and over again for some three-plus years. They also were witnesses of the crucifixion and resurrection, so they could give first-hand accounts of what actually happened. And as we saw with Peter, the Apostles in the New Testament expound the fulfillment of the Old Testament, The Old Testament mysteries were revealed in the New Testament. I want to take you to 1 Peter 1. The book of 1 Peter, starting with chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Peter says this, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of, of time, the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So this is amazing. God used the prophets to prophesy, and they would... They would have visions and, and God would speak to them and they would tell the people what God expected. But they didn't have the whole picture. We do now. You know, the dispensation age, the age of, of the Holy Spirit being poured upon all flesh, uh, even the angels. These, these are things that the angels desired to look into. So nobody really had the, whole, the full picture until, the, until Christ came, till the Holy Spirit came, and all these things started to come out and make sense to everyone. We at Calvary Chapel Crossfields promise to always use God's word as our foundation and our authority. If you go onto our website, and many of you have before coming here, there's a a statement of, quote, what we believe. We believe. We believe. These are the things that we believe, which is probably the most important thing that is on our website. We believe that the Bible is God's word. It's inerrant and infallible. You don't see that much um, anymore. The second thing is fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, the Greek word is koinonia, which indicates more than just casual chat. There's an intimacy involved involved in this fellowship. So you come to church and you say, "Hey Bob, how's it going? Good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How's the family? The family's great. See you next Sunday." That's not koinonia. That's surface. Okay. Koinonia is something much deeper. And as the body of Christ, we ought to really be getting to know each other on a deeper level. As a matter of fact, I remember years ago, uh, Pastor Lloyd talked about they had their website up and they had uh, the cameras on the pulpit and it was a live feed that could go into your computer. So if you missed church on a Sunday, you could actually watch it live through your, through your computer. But his biggest reservation, I remember, is that he said, try not to do it too often. Because you missed the fellowship of coming to church and, and meeting with other believers. So that was his biggest reserva- reservation, even in the age of technology. That's why we do two picnics a year. We do the servants' dinner. We subsidize the teen, the men's, and the women's events, and other fellowships and outreaches, because we want to promote that fellowship. I'm encouraged when I see new friendships formed, when somebody says to me, hey, The Smiths really hit it off with the Jones at the picnic, and next Friday night, they're meeting for dinner. That gets me excited. So I encourage you, the next picnic is September 22nd, please come out and get to know people that maybe you didn't know before. It's good to have a lot of friends, but it's important for friendships to be formed in the local fellowships like they were years ago. The third thing is the breaking of bread. Some people believe this is either-or, but it probably was a combination of a sharing of the meal and the Lord's Supper, as this was the model for the way it was done when Jesus did it with his disciples. They had dinner together, they broke bread, and then the Lord's Supper was instituted. We as a church uh, observe communion the first Sunday of every month. Uh, As Jesus said, do this as often as you do, not really giving us a set time schedule. But people can also observe it in their homes, you know, break bread and And do uh, the Lord's Supper. Remember him. The fourth thing is prayer. As we need communion with each other in the fellowship example, we also need that koinonia with God. And that comes in the form of prayer. Almost like keeping the lines of communication open. You have your lateral you know, koinonia with other people that were made in God's image as you were, and you have your vertical koinonia. We all need to be keeping, you know, uh, our relationship alive with God the Father. But in any church, when the prayer is a function alone, it's usually the least attended. We have a uh, women's uh, prayer that we've had for some time, and on the average, only four women come out to it, and two of those women are pastor's wives. But that's good. They're praying for us. You know, they're praying for all of us. But we do provide prayer as a church. We provide it during the service. If you ever look in the window when I'm getting ready, getting my notes together before I come up, you know, we, we pray before service you know, so that the Holy Spirit would, would guide the message. We pray after service. You can come up after service and get with an elder and they will pray for you if you have any prayer need. Uh, one of our elders, Marty, is, God has put it on his heart to actually use one of the rooms back there if you want more of a private prayer and people can get together and gather together and pray after service. Uh, We have the women's prayer, even on Wednesday nights, which I just did last Wednesday night, Joshua 15 through 17. When I do Joshua, the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, we have corporate prayer. I pray and I open it up for anybody else who wants to share in prayer. We have the Saturday morning fellowship with the men where there's prayer and pretty much we incorporate prayer into all our events. But what we see is, in verse 42, you see a model of the early church. And all these four points are covered in some capacity. In the temple, or public assembly, what you had was the word of God. You had the teachings, the exposition on the word of God. You had the apostles' testimony. And you see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see Peter's Pentecost speech. We're going to see, next Sunday, another speech that Peter does. And you know, a lot of this has to do with the eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ and we see prayer now in the homes or the private gatherings there was the meals you had your meals you had the Lord's Supper and you also had fellowship so all these things were incorporated into the first century here right here whatever you thought before here is your example of a successful church now a lot has changed in the last two thousand years And, you know, we're on the website and we're on CDs and, you know, I say this when I talk about the Western Church, I'm talking about the Western Church. I'm talking about a broad brush here. A lot of comforts and expectations have come into the Western Church that separates us from the early church and even, in many instances, the budding overseas church. Even today, if you would... Take a plane and if you go overseas, maybe to the budding church in India or some of these churches, you'd see a big difference. And a lot of it has to do with technology and creature comforts. But notice will be absent from the four pillars in verse 42 is the accommodation for all lifestyles. And Pastor Chris McCarrick characterized one of these uh, things that really competes with church services, soccer season. He actually called it the Holy Grail. I actually had a family and you know what, there's, it's in every church and it's more than one. So I'm not speaking about anybody in particular, but I've heard people say, wow, this Calvary Chapel, it's, you know, this is something new. We don't, our former church didn't teach the Word of God like Calvary Chapels do. You open up the Word of God and make it understandable. Some months later, soccer season comes up. We're going to go back to our former church because they, uh, they accommodate soccer season. Now, what's really sad is that years ago, Sports were on Saturday, and Sunday was the day of worship, rest, church, everything was kind of put into Sunday. Today, because of everybody working so much, people work on Saturdays, sports have been pushed to Sundays, and church kind of gets squeezed out. And it's not just soccer. I don't want to pick on just soccer. Uh, But the church is expected to accommodate for other events, maybe Super Bowl parties, even late night of partying. Believe it or not, people will come and say, hey, you think... You could get a later service on Sunday, and basically it's because they're too hungover to come and get up early in church Sunday morning. Do people realize what they're saying? Salvation is not tied to attendance. I'm not going there. Some people believe that, but it's not reflected in Scripture. However, I guess the big question is, if you miss church when you go home and that day that you miss church, are you praying? Are you opening up the Bible with your family? Are you worshiping God at home? And hopefully the answer is yes, because we don't do God a favor by coming to church. You know, it's, you know, Bob Coy, Pastor Bob Coy does this analogy and he he does it with tithes, but I'll move it to our time. And he gets this big paper dollar bill and he says, this is representative of what churches, uh, Christians spend money on. And he gets this huge, funny-looking, big-dollar bill, and he takes a little piece off, and he says, this is what the average Christian gives back to God in the form of tithes. Now, let me take that and put that into our time, okay? Those of you mathematicians, if you have seven days a week, take seven days a week and figure out how many hours are in a seven-day week. And what you have is 168 hours. And what happens is, it's like that big-dollar bill. Is 168 hours in a week, and what we do is we take a little piece off of that and take one hour, which is less than 1%, and say, look, God, I came to church on Sunday. Look what I gave to you. And we think we're being generous, but we're not. We're not. It's a shame because the key to a better life is not more overindulgence. It's being grounded in a relationship with God. And how appropriate this message is on Father's Day. I'm thinking, as I'm praying about the message, I'm thinking, oh, it's Father's Day, I don't want to put a damper and, you know, say that, be a little convicting, but you know what, this is where it is in Scripture, I'm not going to skip it. So what is church, what is in church? Unfortunately, too many times, we as Christians like to compartmentalize our walk with God and squeeze God into a little portion of time and say, this is what I have for you, Lord. Here, this, this is what I have for you. Aren't I generous? We don't, God doesn't get anything out of what we're doing there. We, we try to get out of it by our closer relationship with him. I can't stress that enough. Speaking of relationship, there are those who would skip the fellowship prior to service, skip the worship, skip the prayer, skip the announcement, and then after half an hour, wonder when the pastor is going to stop talking. Well, and then the same type of people complain that church is not meeting their needs. Well, what would anyone expect? It's like a relationship. You get out of something what you put into it in a marriage you wouldn't say that you wouldn't say I don't want to put anything into my relationship and then expect to have a good marriage it doesn't work like that and it doesn't work like that when we're dealing with God other expectations is for the church it's kinda trendy for the church to become like a corporation well I have news Um, we're not anytime gonna change our name to corporate chapel crossfield it's just not gonna happen People expect a perfect corporate atmosphere where everything goes flawlessly. We're dealing with people. We're dealing with largely volunteers. And that's not what we strive for. We strive to please God and we strive to have a greater cohesiveness with each other. Or other expectations. I might as well just continue going through this because next Sunday only 20 people are going to come back. (laughs) So I might as well go for broke here, don't you think? Other expectations is... For churches to have everything, for something for everything and everyone, like the big churches do. I don't understand, Pastor. Why don't you have a basket weaving ministry or the kazoo playing ministry, like the big churches do? It's because we don't strive for that. And the question is should it be enough that the church provides the four pillars set forth in verse 42 in Acts? It's like that song um, that the Jewish people sing on Passover, Dayenu. Die day, Dayenu, if you've sat in on a Seder, uh, you might have remembered it. And it means in Hebrew, it would have been enough. And it would have been enough, they say, that uh, God destroyed the Egyptian idols for the Jewish people. It would have been enough. But God took us to the Red Sea. It would have been enough that God opened up the Red Sea for the for the children of Israel and let us get through safely. It would have been enough. But God went further than that, and he closed the Red Sea on the Egyptian army so the children of Israel could be safe. And the the song continues to go that way, because that's how gracious and merciful God is. He just keeps giving and giving. And the question is, would it be enough for us to follow what God has set forth in his scripture? Another thing, one last thing is, um, even when it comes to counseling, there is an expectation that the church has to have a team of licensed counselors. And I got to tell you, we live in an over-counseled society. And I'm not saying it doesn't have its, you know, the Bible speaks about counsel. As a matter of fact, I'm state certified for the crisis team. If uh, there's a disaster, they would call me out and, and I'm one of the team that would talk to people and help to bring them down because on a traumatic event, you need to kind of backflush your mind and get your bearing straight. But We, we, you know, look at the Hollywood people. They brag about having three or four psychologists. It's like they get up in the morning. Should I have scrambled eggs or Wheaties? I better call my counselor. You know what I'm saying? And people counsel shop. Somebody could come to me and say, Pastor Joe, I have this problem. What should I do? Well, let me open up the word of God. And this is what it says. This is the remedy. And it'll help you out. Okay. They leave my counsel, maybe go to Pastor Anthony and say, what do you think about this? And then maybe they don't like his counsel, and they'll go to another church and say, well, what is your counsel? And they shop and shop and shop until they find some pastor or elder who's going to tell them what they want to hear. But that's not, you know, we're so quick to run to people, and we don't run to God. Because it's like you go through the drive-thru, you could get a Big Mac, fries, and a Coke, and you think it's the same thing. We, we go through the drive-thru, we want a quick counsel, so I could, my life could be perfect. But God doesn't speed His timing up for us because our society is so fast. We have to go in God's timing. Sometimes we just need to meditate on God's Word and pray and wait for the answer that God has for us. In some cases, pastoring has become entertainment because that's what people desire. I've heard people say, Pastor so-and-so was so funny today. Oh, what did you learn out of the Scripture? I don't know, but he was so funny, you know? Dave Hunt does a uh, series called Showtime for the Sheep. We're so over-entertained and so overindulged that we try to put that into the things of God and it doesn't work. The recipe is right in Acts for a successful church and that's what we should be looking for. One last thing is, and I said that before, but this truly is the last thing on the subject, is church hopping. People will, and listen, somebody can come here and say, I've went to two churches before. This is my third church. They didn't teach the Word of God. Hey, that's perfectly legitimate. But if you're on your fifth or sixth church and they gave you the Word of God and the worship was good and prayer was provided and fellowship was provided, you say, well, I didn't like the first pastor. And in the second church, I didn't like the worship team. And in the third church, I didn't like that. Listen, as you can see today, I could be a little crusty. You're not going to like me after a while either. You know? So what it is, is, it's not about the pastor or the worship team. It's about... Our hearts are we getting what the Bible said we should be getting in our fellowship it's not about me I'm just a medium to explain the scripture to you to help you to get closer with God I'm I'm out of the picture here so I see I see a similarity with the Western Church and uh, the children of Israel Um, and I listen believe me I love air conditioning I love my car I'm guilty too. I'm speaking to me too. We've gotten so used to stuff that we we try to put God into the formula and then we wonder why God's not answering our prayers. The children of Israel were smarter than us. And let me tell you why. It is fashionable to beat up on the children of Israel. Oh, they were so dumb. The Red Sea was opened up and this was done for them. And How could they turn away from God? What's wrong with them? But the children of Israel didn't have a history book in front of them to refer to. They had God's warnings, they had God's miracles, but they didn't have a group of people that they could look to before and say, boy, they really messed up, let's learn from that. We, as the Western Church, do. We have the history book, and we're doing the same thing that they did. The children of Israel, what happened prior to their demise? They had paneled homes, they had two cars, they had their Blackberries. Well, maybe they didn't have Blackberries, but they had everything that money could provide. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, every man neighing after his neighbor's wife, the Bible said. They had it all. And it's usually overindulgence was a precursor to a fall. And that concerns me about our nation because, you know what, we wonder why things are so bad. We need to repent. And the repentance needs to start for us in, in the church. And I keep saying we because I'm part of the problem. So this is what church is. And I'm really glad that we got to cover this today. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Let me read Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Reverence for God seems to be the catalyst here for signs and wonders. Another reason why incredible signs and wonders are happening on the mission fields in these largely Uh, these largely fragile, budding churches. Many of these people are polytheists in these these areas, and they're laying down their idols, they're grieving over their sins, and they're turning to worship God. There's a genuine humility and reverence here. These churches are being built on the foundations as they were in the book of Acts. The fear of God. You know, we think about Hebrews 4.16, where it says that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. But I think we forget who's on the throne. You know, we have the attitude that we can boldly come to the throne of grace, but who is on the throne? I think the fear of God needs to come back here. It needs to come back to the Western church. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, even some Jews today, they have such a reverence for even God's name that when they go to write his name or say his name, they don't say the covenant name that was spoken to Moses. They say Hashem in the Hebrew, which means the name. They're so concerned about handling God's name carefully that they they use a substitute so they don't make a mistake with his name, you see? And it's amazing in our society how often you people say, God, mm, or Jesus, mm. People are just so flippant with God's name that they just throw it around. There's, there's largely not a fear of God anymore. And I think this is a good Father's Day message because... God loves us. He calls out to us. He's our father. He wants us to come to him as his children. And if anything, I could say is the the bottom line in this whole thing would be uh, our relationship with God. He, he, He wants us to have a strong relationship with him. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This seems like an early form of communism, okay, makes makes sense, but not to be confused with the communist practices of today, because today communism is, um, is, is married to atheism. And if you understand and you study communism, you have to understand why they're atheistic. Um, North Korea, they practice, the people are, are practicing cannibalism because the government is starving them. This comes from not only the secular media, but also the missions media. In China, they're imprisoning pastors by the hundreds. The underground church, because they're preaching the true word of God, not the, the, um, what the communist government is dictating them to preach in their churches. In Vietnam, there's incredible disc- discrimination among the Hmong people, and there's racism. <laughs> and you say, well, there's racism here. But racism here and discrimination is illegal. <laughs> there's recourse through the courts. In communist countries, because they buy evolution, they can look at smaller, Minority groups inferior and punish them and kill them and they have no recourse? You see, so it's it's communism, but it's it's more of a it was a pure form that they practiced, not you know not to be confused with what, what's practiced today. Now, why did they do this? Because maybe because they thought the Lord was coming back soon. One one reason was it just an overflow of love for the less fortunate that they jumped into this practice. Or was it because since the 3,000 got saved in Jerusalem, these people were sharing their goods because the 3,000 now were staying, not going home, and they needed somewhere to stay, and they needed something to eat, and they needed money to buy food? It could have been a combination, but we see that after chapter 5, it doesn't appear that it's practiced anymore. And we do know that the Jerusalem church later had uh, need financially, and Paul had to help get other churches stirred up to give to them and help them out. But what you see here i think is it's good to be generous to the world but are we generous with each other as believers i think we forget we're so starry-eyed about saving the world that sometimes we forget to be generous to each other and also not just generous to each other but um compassionate to each other and showing those those emotions and and that care that we would send to you know our little kids i have one too a little kid on the refrigerator from compassion and send the money and you see his progress and that's great But are we, we, you know, sometimes charity starts at home. I remember Randy Cahill, Pastor Randy from Massachusetts, uh, during one of the men's breakfasts at Oldbridge, He said, people are so willing to go out and save the world. But there's no sense if you're going to go out and save the world if you're not saving your own kids. Now, we know that God saves our children. We can't save anybody. But I think the point he was trying to make was that we have these big... um, Uh, you know, ideas of, of, of grandeur to go out there, but are we, is there charity at home? You know, are we taking care of our kids? Are we, um, looking at other people's kids to take care of them in the fellowship that maybe need a little, a little help. And this is what we have to look at because the early church practiced it. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Simplicity of heart, what the world and what the church is lacking today. We've made it so complicated. Now, I study the Greek, you know, I'm getting good at reading it and and saying some of it and learning it and you know, I could tell you what hermeneutics are and all these antinomianism and all these fancy words. But remember, I'm the shepherd. I have to know this stuff because people come to me and say, hey, what about this doctrine? Hey, what about this? And I can't say, well, I don't know. You know, so I study. That's my job as a shepherd. But honestly, I don't need my notes for this simple gladness and simplicity of heart. The gospel is a simple message I don't need to refer to my notes. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God knew that we were damned because of our sins. God knew that we were separated from God. There's a huge chasm between us and him. So what God did was he had a plan to send his son, his only son, and he took the form of a man by a miraculous virgin birth, came down to earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, died a substitutionary death on the cross, on the third day rose again as the seal of authenticity to everything that he said beforehand, okay, he was the first fruits of the resurrection, had a 40-day ministry, uh, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, he gave the promise of the Holy Spirit as he said he would, okay? This is a simple message. It's simple. You know, my son actually, uh, it's so cool because I say, hey Josiah, if somebody asked you why do you believe what you believe? What would you say? So I kind of taught him a little bit, and he says it like a child. You know, it's much more simpler, but it's so simple that even a child could get it. Do we have simplicity of heart? You know, is, is that what we, what, we, what we have? Or are we just such complicated people? I like to go back. I, I think I'm a simple person. I think I'm simple-minded. I like simple things. I always like to go back to the simple things. That's why I love stories about, like... Um, what my kid does and, you know, simple things. I I, I like simple things. <laughs> okay, so let's look at what the staples of the early church were. Let's take all these verses, put them all together, and let's see what we have. And let's see how do we stack up against these in our own hearts, in our own lives. Well, God's word. God's word, we should desire God's word. We should Um, just have a a void that has to be filled with God's Word, okay? It's God's Word. You know, it it helps us to live our lives. It helps us to know who God is, the creator of the universe. Where do we stand on God's Word? Prayer. Prayer. Um, I'm not going to sit and tell you that I pray for hours, because I don't. But I pray throughout the day. I greet him in the morning. I say goodnight in the evening. And I talk to him throughout the day, especially when I'm going to a hot call like a you know a knife or a gun. I'm like all right, Lord, help me out with this one. But I pray. and We should be praying because that's our, our lifeline, our communication to God. Fellowship, fellowship. That's really important because solitary Christian is uh, um, an oxymoron. There shouldn't we shouldn't be solitary Christians. We need each other. We are the body of Christ. We work together as a unit. If my foot decided to separate from my ankle, I'd have a problem right now. You know what I'm saying? We all work together as the body of Christ. Fellowship is important. The remembrance of Jesus and the Lord's Supper is an important observance. And do we want to remember him? And why do we remember him? Fear of God. Fear of God is something that all of us uh, could learn from, including myself. Simplicity and gladness of heart. We went over that. God working through our lives in a mighty way. And we saw that with the disciples. God Work through their lives in a mighty way? And if not, are we letting Him work through our lives? Sometimes we're the hindrance to that. Sharing. Not being stingy with what we have. Not saying, it's mine, like a little, like your three year old. Mine, mine, I want it. A tighten hold on to it. That tightened death grip that you have on that toy. Do we share? Are we generous with people? Um, praising of God that He deserves, because He alone deserves the glory. Having favor with all the people, all the people, not just the Christians, the religious leaders too. I mean, they chastised them, they beat them, you know, they kicked them out of the synagogues, but they knew in their hearts that these guys were doing the right thing. There was no accusation they could bring against them that was, that was wrong. Are pe- people getting saved because of our influence or are we at least planting the seed or at the very least is our example a good example? And that all adds to that. That's a building. When somebody finally led me to the Lord, um, they probably thought, wow, this is great. You know, it was easy. But it was because there was people in my life over the years that set a good example that were Christians. And eventually I said, why am I running from God? It's obvious. God's been chasing me my whole life. I might as well give up. I can't run away from Him. So, you know, it was that, that constant Examples of other people that didn't even know that they contributed to my salvation. As a matter of fact, it was, um, I remember in college, uh, every summer I would work, you know, when we got out of college, make a few extra bucks, and a bunch of young kids, you know, in our um, early, what, late teens, early 20s, and we worked for this um, warehouse. And at lunchtime we would all get together, and there was this old Jamaican man, and his name was Lloyd. And he would sit there and he would read from the Bible. This old man, his hands were frail, real thin guy. We all looked up to him. I mean, we would make jokes as young punks, but um, we all looked up to him. And when I got saved, I thought of Lloyd. As a matter of fact, he gave me a book and I went to give it back, but he had since died and gone to the Lord. And I told his son, do you realize the effect that your father had on me? And he was like blown away. So it's all these little steps, just your example. They know you're a Christian Are you leading that godly life. If very little of these are apparent in our lives, we need to do some reevaluating. Maybe it's material possessions that are bogging us down. Maybe it's a, a hurried lifestyle. And you know what? In my life, when I know that, you know, I, I, I'm, something's, not, something's not clicking, Lord, you know, something's not right. I, usually, for me, I could trace it to I'm doing too much. <laughs> Back off a little. Rest on the Lord. Get out of the house, leave the cell phone in the house, take a walk down the street. It's really cool because at the end of my street, there's a steel grate bridge, and they decided that they were going to they were gonna take it out and, ref- and fix it. So now there's no traffic on my street. So I just walk down the street, and I just pray to the Lord, and I just rest on Him. Everything else can wait. Well, in the end, I don't have any witty or fancy way of wrapping this all up, what we covered today. All I can say is that this, this is the model of what church should be. This is our model. And I pray that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted. I was convicted in some areas when I put this together. I pray that we would be encouraged in the areas that we would need to be encouraged with. But I also pray, most of all, that we would... Take a look in a different way of what church is supposed to be. Let's pray.